Welcome back to the Liz Wheeler Show. I am obviously not Liz Wheeler. I am Josh Hammer. I'm the senior editor-at-large for Newsweek. I'm the host of my own show, The Josh Hammer Show, and a syndicated columnist. Grateful for Liz for letting me do this guest hosting appearance. Really happy to be with you guys. As Liz also knows, I'm actually also a constitutional lawyer by training. Liz knows that because we have had so many conversations about these topics over the years. Been on her show to discuss this itself. And as a constitutional lawyer by training, well, we have finished up the Supreme Court term. We have had some major breaking news in recent days at the U.S. Supreme Court. In particular, in particular, this past Thursday, we saw the opinions released in what for me and I think many others was the most anticipated case or really twin cases of the entire term. What did the Supreme Court do? Well, they actually ended systemic racism in America. I mean, you probably wouldn't know that. I mean, that's definitely not the headline that you're going to see, at least if you're tuning in to MSNBC, CNN, reading the New York Times op-ed page, things like that. But really, they ended systemic racism in America. The Babylon Bee actually had it best. The Babylon Bee said, Democrats devastated as Supreme Court bans racism. I speak here, of course, about affirmative action. So let's take a look at what the scene at the Supreme Court actually looked like this past Thursday as we were getting ready to release these major, major cases out of Harvard University and the University of North Carolina when it comes to affirmative action. And, you know, you see there these protesters who are mingling. I mean, it, the way these things work is when you actually go to the, so, so there we go, we, we, we see these protesters mingling. And, you know, the way it works is when you actually get there in line, anyone who's been to the Supreme Court will tell you, you don't actually know in advance what cases are going to be released on a given day. If you're expecting or hoping for a certain case, that's really all you can do is you can actually hope for that case. So these guys had no idea what they were about to see. But in Students for Fair Admission versus Harvard College and the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, we have once and for all a definitive, a definitive ruling from the U.S. Supreme Court holding that affirmative action policies in higher higher education and university admissions violate not just Title VI, not just Title VI of the Civil Rights Act, but actually the 14th Amendment of the, of the U.S. Constitution itself. They violate the Equal Protection Clause. This is a ruling that many of us in the conservative legal movement have been pining for for years and years and years. Look, speaking personally, I mean, I remember when I, when I started at the University of Chicago Law School a decade ago. I mean, you think about kind of the big cases that motivate right of center students. Abortion at that time was one. Well, last term, we obviously saw the overturning of Roe versus Wade and Casey versus Planned Parenthood, its 1992 successor. And now we have seen the overturning of affirmative action. So it's just a really, really remarkable ruling. It overturns over four decades of Supreme Court precedent. The Supreme Court first started to go down this road in the late 1970s in a case called Bakke at the University of California in 1978. They, they doubled down 25 years later in these two cases from the, from the University of Michigan called Grutter and Gratz. And then just last decade, they had these cases out of the, out of the University of Texas called Fisher, where they, again, decided they were not actually going to do anything and they were going to keep affirmative action in place. Now, the problem with affirmative action, obviously, is multifold. I, I, the listeners and the viewers obviously know this, but there are multiple glaring problems here. The first and foremost problem is that it is a flagrant violation, as the court finally, finally held this past Thursday, of the U.S. Constitution's colorblind nature. 
to take race into account when you make consequential decisions such as who is admitted to a higher university, a higher education institution, a university, whether it's a college, a PhD program, whatever, to take race into account for that matter when you have government contracting decisions. That was a case in 1995 called Adirond versus Pena. To take race into account when you are giving out government benefits. These are not just morally irksome, because again, we the people, going back to the Declaration of Independence itself and its famous pleas for, we are all endowed by our creator with unalienable rights. Uh, we, are, we are equal before God Almighty himself. It is not just morally irksome, but is also explicit violations of the Equal Protection Clause, the 14th Amendment. So really just, I cannot emphasize this, this enough. And you know, many of us were, were cautiously optimistic that the court would finally do this for the very simple reason that Chief Justice John Roberts, who is the swing vote on this court, he actually, if there's one issue where John Roberts has, has really been consistent on, it's actually the affirmative action issue. So John Roberts was nominated and confirmed by then President George W. Bush in 2005, and he's had a very topsy-turvy career. We obviously remember what he did to the Obamacare case back in 2012 when he rewrote that statute for the bench, but it was actually only two years after Roberts was confirmed in a 2007 case called Parents Involved out of Seattle, Washington, which also involved racial preferences, where he had this line where he said, quote, the way to stop discrimination on the basis of race is to stop discriminating on the basis of race. So many of us are cautiously optimistic because that's a very powerful quote, obviously, from John Roberts. But on the other hand, Roberts has had his ups and downs over the years. He joined the liberals just a couple, just a few weeks ago, really, in a case out of Alabama, a voting rights redistricting case called Milligan. So it, it really was not guaranteed to be this result. But I mean, I think I speak for many when I say that this is a result absolutely positively worth celebrating. A admittedly, it's not a result worth celebrating for everyone. I mean, here's how the New York Times spun. And so the, the New York Times, this, this was literally the New York Times take on the ending of systemic racism, i.e. affirmative action in America. The New, York, the New York Times tweeted, breaking news, the Supreme Court rejected affirmative action at Harvard and UNC. The major ruling curtails race-conscious college admissions in the U.S. Here's the key part. All but ensuring that elite institutions become whiter and more Asian and less black and Latino. I, I mean, how disgusting and ludicrous is that take for any number of reasons? I mean, how implicitly racist is it to kind of spew out this, this bile where you are implicitly assuming that, that a ruling that does nothing other than uphold the colorblind equal, equality, equal under the law, equal treatment before judges, before politicians. How can you be so racist, frankly, as to conclude that a holding that does nothing other than that will necessarily result in disparate treatment? And what's really going on here? As the nation gears up for another election season, tune to the first TV for the best coverage on television. Get an exclusive inside look at the American political machine with Sean Spicer at seven. Unmatched analysis and historical perspective from Bill O'Reilly at eight. Then a bold, unapologetic take from Jesse Kelly at nine. It's must-see TV in primetime every night on the first TV. Watch the first on DirecTV channel 347, Uverse channel 1220, or DirecTV stream. America is on trial. Join me, Josh Hammer, as we examine the presidential election through the only lens that truly matters, the legal proceedings of Donald Trump and the Biden crime family. This new daily podcast examines breaking news and analyzes the biggest questions facing the country. Can the former president, Donald Trump, get a fair trial? Can Trump be disqualified from the ballot? Can Joe Biden pardon his son, Hunter? Can Trump even pardon himself? 
We cover all the action every morning. Listen to America on Trial, wherever you download your favorite podcasts. What is really going on here, kind of getting out of the legal weeds for a second, just talking about kind of the broader cultural moral struggle that that is going on here and that we saw play out between the dueling opinions, the majority opinion, which was a magnificent opinion by Chief Justice John Roberts, probably the most magnificent majority opinion of, of his career. What's really going on here between the majority opinion and the wonderful concurrences and the dissents from Justices Sotomayor and Katanji Brown-Jackson is a conflicting view of society. I don't know how else to, to, to better simplify it than that. What you have here on the one hand is equality, actual, the equality of the Declaration of Independence, the equality of the Equal Protection Clause. We as human beings have unalienable rights. We, we, we have equal civil rights, statutory, constitutional, natural rights. We are equal before God. We are equal before the courts. We are just equal. On the other hand, and this obviously ties into the rise of the woke left over the past five, six, seven, eight years or so. We see these, this Ibram X. Kendi vision of intersectionality, of equity, and it's really just a whole bunch of crap. And finally, we have a Supreme Court that is willing to say that. So credit where credit is due. I, I have been very critical at times, certainly of Chief Justice John Roberts, also very much uh, as well for Justices Amy Coney Barrett and, and Brett Kavanaugh, who, although they are right more often than, than they are wrong, I, I do not think have the have the backbone and the courage of Justices Clarence Thomas and Sam Alito. But credit where credit is due. This is touching the third rail issue of race. It is obviously a dicey issue. And these justices all did the right thing there. Another man who is obviously vindicated here is Justice Clarence Thomas. Clarence Thomas, of course, in my opinion, the greatest living American, someone who grew up in the Jim Crow South. He, he was dirt poor. English was not even his, his, his first language. And he has been sounding the alarm about affirmative action and the use of race in making a university admission decisions, government contract decisions. Going back to that case, Adirond, which I mentioned just a few minutes ago, back in 1995, where Clarence Thomas first basically said that, you know what, for all the good that liberals think they are doing when it comes to affirmative action policies, there's a, there's a whole lot of bad that they're doing. And what Clarence Thomas explained in the Pena decision, he was so vindicated in these cases out of Harvard and University of North Carolina that dropped just this past week. What he explained is that when you give minority students a, a boost, a literal boost on, on their applications, you are making their peers question whether they actually belong there due to their merit or whether they got there by dint of their melanin content in their skin, something as, as artificial as that. And what Clarence Thomas has also explained is that you put so, you see doubt into the minds of many black and Hispanic students who benefited from these policies. So it, it is very much a double-edged sword. Unfortunately, it's not a double-edged sword, again, for the dissenters in this case, Sonia Sotomayor and Katanji Brown-Jackson. So uh, let's, it, it's worth unpacking the, the majority opinion and at least Clarence Thomas's concurrence a little bit here. Again, the Sotomayor and Jackson dissents really just go full intersectionality, equity. Uh, you know, you know we, the government is empowered, the universities are empowered to do this to race, to try to basically create a, a diverse or equitable class of human beings, of students that will better match the proportion of students across the country. That, that basically is what they say. I mean, Katanji Brown-Jackson, in her dissent, she starts talking about you know, you know, the, the socioeconomic gaps between the median black or, or, or average black American versus the median or average white American. It's all the stuff that you would typically read on a, you know, on a New York Times op-ed. I mean, that basically is what Sonia Sotomayor is as a justice. But, you know, here is what John Roberts had to say here. And we can go ahead and, and pull up 
element 1B. This, this is Chief Justice John Roberts, who, again, is really delivering, from my perspective, the landmark majority opinion of his whole career here. And he is blistering. He does not pull any punches here in condemning these dissents from Sotomayor and Katanji Brown-Jackson. So John Roberts writes, quote, most troubling of all, quote, most troubling of all is what the dissent must make these omissions to defend. A judiciary that picks winners and losers based on the color of their skin. While the dissent would certainly not permit university programs that discriminated against black and Latino applicants, it is perfectly willing to let the programs here continue. In its view, this court is supposed to tell state actors when they have picked the right races to benefit. Separate but equal is inherently unequal, said Brown. They're quoting here, of course, Brown versus Board of Education, the, the sweeping ruling in the 1950s that overturned Plessy versus, Plessy versus Ferguson and finally held that the Constitution means what it says when it comes to separate but equal, not actually being equal. And then really briefly, John Roberts continued. He said, quote, it depends. It depends, says the dissent. That is a remarkable view, he continues, of the judicial of the judicial role, remarkably wrong, lost in the false pretense of judicial humility that the dissent espouses is a claim to power so radical, so destructive that it required a second founding to undo. What he is saying here is that the dissenter's view, the pro-affirmative action camp's view, this idea that race matters, that race is not arbitrary, as Thomas Jefferson wrote in the Declaration of Independence and as the abolitionists before the Civil War fought for, the dissent says that no, race is not arbitrary. It actually matters a lot. And the dissent thinks that universities should be empowered to take race into account under the law, under the rule of law. What John Roberts is saying here is that it took a second founding. He's referring here, of course, to Abraham Lincoln's refounding, second founding of the American Republic in the form of the righteous victory over the Confederacy in the Civil War and the subsequent passing of the three Reconstruction Amendments, the 13th through 15th Amendments. So really just powerful, unsparing stuff here from John Roberts. Again, I tip my hat to the man. He, he has not always been right, but man, when he, is, when he is right, he is right. So speaking, though, of, of Justice Clarence Thomas, who, again, man, I mean, 55 to 60 page concurrence. You guys got to read this. If you haven't read this yet, I don't know what you're waiting for. It is, it is pure fire from Clarence Thomas. I, I personally was hoping he would get the majority opinion here, to be honest with you. I understand why they why they gave it to the chief justice. But Clarence Thomas pulls no punches absolutely whatsoever when it comes to his scathing criticism of Katanji Brown Jackson's very intersectional Ibram X. Kendi dissent. So let's go ahead here and pull element seven. And what we see here is, uh, is, is Justice Thomas's concurrence. So he's talking here about how Justice, uh, how Justice Katanji Brown Jackson whips out all these statistics. Again, what she's, what she's trying to do here is show that the average black in America has it worse off than the average white. Therefore, universities should be empowered to take race into account. So he, he, here's Justice Thomas. He says, quote, nor do Justice Jackson's statistics regarding a correlation between levels of health, wealth, and well-being between selected racial groups prove anything. Of course, none of those statistics are capable of drawing a direct causal link between race, rather than socioeconomic status or any other factor, and individual outcomes. And, you know, he continues a little further on. Accordingly, Justice Jackson's race-infused worldview falls flat at each step. And here's the key part. Individuals are the sum of their unique experiences, challenges, and accomplishments. What matters is not the barriers they face, but how they choose to confront them. So just really, really powerful stuff there from, from Clarence Thomas, who has been sounding the alarm on the 
seeming badge of inferiority that America's affirmative action, race conscious admission policies put in, in the minds of black and Hispanic students and their peers. He's been sounding this alarm for decades now. He, he is thoroughly vindicated. So look, the jury is still out, obviously, on Amy Coney Barrett, on Brett Kavanaugh, to a lesser extent, Neil Gorsuch. But they all did the right thing here. This is a really, really big deal. Anyone who tells you that it is not a big deal is wrong. It is true that universities will try. They will definitely try to get around this. In fact, many actually already have teased how they're going to do so. So you've seen this trend over the past year of many universities that have made the SAT or ACT not mandatory for admissions, but, but actually optional. And the fact that it's not mandatory is kind of, I think, a lot of these admissions offices' ways of trying to game the system looking forward. So they're going to get creative. They're definitely going to get creative. I mean, you saw a very kind of defiant Sonia Sotomayor in her dissent basically saying that, you know, quoting Martin Luther King, that the moral arc of the universe, the long arc of justice will vindicate us. You saw Barack and Michelle Obama put out a statement. Harvard University, which quite literally lost this case as a litigant, put out a statement which was not exactly apologetic, basically saying we will do what we can to make sure we have a diverse, uh, you know, aka an equitable class here. So this fight's not going to go away, but this is a strong holding from the Supreme Court. And, you know, I have to just also say here, William Consovoy was a man that that I knew. He was a conservative lawyer who really pioneered this litigation. He was the one who worked with Edward Bloom, the founder of Students for Fair Admission, to get this litigation going. William Consovoy, who clerked for Justice Commons, was a brilliant attorney. William Consovoy passed away within the past year, way, way too young from brain cancer. Absolutely horrible. So, you know, Will, I don't know where you are, where you're listening to this, but you should you should feel vindicated by this because the Supreme Court did the right thing here. Your former boss, Clarence Thomas, proved once again that he is the greatest living American with this amazing, amazing peon to color blindness and equality before the law. So good thing for the Supreme Court here. These are some fantastic rulings in this term's marquee cases, the affirmative action cases. We have finally, finally seen, at least legally speaking, legally, the formal final end of the last vestiges of systemic racism in America. So that's it for today's episode of the, of the Liz Wheeler Show. Again, I'm Josh Hammer. You can find me at Newsweek, where I'm the senior editor at large. I'm also the host of my own show, The Josh Hammer Show, which, by the way, you can find on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard earlier with a conversation with Joe Borelli, the minority leader of the New York City Council, go ahead and find that episode, which came out just this past week. So, you know, once again, grateful to Liz for the opportunity to host here. You can go ahead and check out Liz, of course, at LizWheeler.com. And that's it for today's episode of The Liz Wheeler Show. 